Hey listeners, I'm excited to have on the show with me this week my friend Titus Kipfer, who I have actually never met face-to-face. We've just met online, but we've been involved in a couple different podcasts together, and I finally got him on my podcast here, and we're going to discuss kind of uh, church tradition and wrestlings with faith. Uh, Titus Kipfer was born and raised in a conservative Anabaptist church, and then um, kind of in his own faith journey went after the charismatic movement at least for a time and benefited from them a little bit but then found himself kind of drawn back to some of his anabaptist roots and so that's going to be a lot of what we discuss and talk about what led to each part of his journey again as always if you enjoy the show and you would like to help support the show you can uh, go to patreon.com forward slash asha whitmer and for as little as $5 a month, for as much as however much you want, you can support the show. And I realize that in this time of COVID-19, there are many other things that we can all be supporting as well. And so obviously, if if there are other things you're going to give your money to, go for it. Uh, don't, don't stress out about us. But it is a, a way of keeping this show going and keeping our uh, food on our table. So if you're interested and you'd like to help out, just visit patreon.com forward slash Asher Whitmer. I'll drop a link in the show as well. Also, another way, a great way that you can sincerely and honestly help the podcast is by giving it, if you're listening on iTunes, giving it a rating and writing a review. Um, not only do more ratings help it get spread farther on the algorithm in iTunes, but it also gives feedback, especially if you leave reviews. Um, That helps me know whether I'm meeting your needs or not. Now, I know that there are about 7,000 of you who have listened to this podcast on iTunes, and so there's only one written review so far. So I know there's many of you who have not written a review, and I would love to hear your feedback. And I know in my last couple of shows, I've been saying that I will read the reviews. And I don't know if that scares you or doesn't scare you or how you feel about that. But perhaps you're needing some inspiration or, or just help finding the words for what kind of review you could leave. Or maybe you're not sure exactly what kind of review I'm looking for. So I decided I would create some templates, some possible reviews you could leave on this show. Again, I'm not looking for just rah-rah five-star reviews. I'm looking for sincere, honest feedback so I know if I'm meeting your needs or not. So if if you're needing help getting the words to write the review, here's a couple options you could try. The first option is you could say, two enthusiastic thumbs up. Now, if you're familiar with Brian Regan, the comedian Brian Regan, that's one of his lines. And so if you're out of words and you really love the show and you just want to communicate that, you can say two enthusiastic thumbs up and I will know you love the show. Or you could say, you need to shut the mic off and go put your head in some more books. And if you use that template, then I will realize that you do not like the show and you think I need more information about what I'm talking about. Or you could say, I love the topics you address and I love the interviews, but they're just way too long. Or you could say the opposite. This is a great show. I love the topics, love the interviews. You could have more time with it. Or you could say, you know what? Don't ever interview anybody. 
just do one-on-one, -on -one, you talking in a mic. Or you could say the opposite. You could say, you know what? I love the interviews. Do more interviews. And you could even give me suggestions of people who to interview, who you'd love to interview. Now, you can either do that publicly on the written review, or you can email podcast at asherwhitmer.com. And that'll be private. Only I will see that, me and my wife. You could say, I loved your last episode where you responded to questions that listeners had. Or you could say, you know what? We would actually rather hear less of you and more of your boys and your wife. <laughs> I hope you, you get the gist. Obviously, some of these are humorous and so forth. But my, the point is that I sincerely value your feedback. It helps me know how I can serve you better. And it helps me also know, like, I don't want to spend hours recording stuff that is completely irrelevant to you. I want to know that I'm connecting with you. Obviously, as I plan and prepare, whether it's blog articles or podcast episodes, I'm, I do so according to what I feel burdened by, what I feel God is speaking to me about and teaching me as well. But I listen very closely to my listeners also and where that overlaps is the majority of the content that we are going to produce, whether on this podcast or on the blog. And so I do value your written reviews, whether good, bad, in the middle. Don't be afraid. So there you have it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for rating and reviewing and helping us out in that way. Here is my conversation with my friend, Titus Kipfer. Kipfer. Titus, it's good to have you on. Hey, what's up, Asher? It is good to finally make this connection. I think it was about a year ago that we first started connecting. You had me on your podcast, the um, uh, Proselytize or Apostatize. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, that was, so, that was the first podcast I had for a while with my friend David Russell, which was sort of an apologetics debate podcast. Um, but I, I had friended you on Facebook and, and liked a lot of what you're doing. So we kind of took a break from some of those topics and, and had you on just for an interview, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. That was kind of, I remember I had just bought this mic and stuff cause I was looking at getting into podcasting as well. And so that was the first trial run of the mic. It's kind of a nice excuse glad, to use glad it. Glad I could be your guinea pig there. <laughs> yeah. We, you know, um, I think Teresa and I went to Igo with your sister, Ruth, mm -hmm. and then my, and then Teresa's cousin is married to your sister, uh, Rachel. Rachel, yeah, Craig. And Craig, Craig and Rachel. Uh -huh. And so I've kind of heard about this Titus Kipfer here and there, and then we're we're friends from uh, northern, well, we used to live in northern Minnesota, but some friends in Ontario, um, Steve and Sharon Kipfer. You're related to them somehow too, aren't you? Mm-hmm. They yeah. are my aunt so and uncle, yes. Yep. Yeah, okay. So there's kind of this wide scope roundabout 
introduction to Titus Kipfer, and then finally we meet each other over over the internet. And we had that interview. We had another interview on yours, I think, with um, Trudy Metzger in the summer. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. when the whole cam fiasco was going down. We had I had you and Trudy on to discuss that. Yeah. Also, and then my brother started a a podcast, a politics podcast, Third Way which you can mm-hmm. check out on iTunes. And we, we're both on that as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so we've had an increasing amount of conversations together, but we've actually never met face-to-face yet. Yeah, it's kind of strange having... I mean, I, some of some of the best connections I've made have been over social media, and it, it's only been in the last couple of years where that's been the case. But then, you know, I, yeah. I've met some of these people in real life later, and, and they're generally just as cool in, in real life. So yeah. I'll assume that of you as well. <laughs> yeah, it, it, um, I'm not sure what, what you count face-to-face if Skype, because we're seeing face-to-face, so I know what you look like and everything. So it's not yeah. quite like the uh, old-fashioned days when you could make yourself appear differently, I guess, so... Anyways, it could always be a, a Russian avatar that they're projecting to try to get information about conservative Mennonites. You never know. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, so it's good to good to finally have you on Unfeigned Christianity. Yeah, thanks for having me. What um what you've done some podcasting is was pros, uh, proselytize or apostatize? Was that your first podcast that you did? Yep. Yeah, that was the first one I did. I was uh, I first just started live streaming some of those discussions, and people seemed to enjoy the conversation I would have conversations I'd have with non-believers. So I started doing that a lot, which just kind of morphed it into an apologetics podcast. Um, and then maybe a half year to a year ago, I turned that over to well my co-host and, and another guy who's much more equipped in apologetics. They kind of have taken that over. And I started uh, a new podcast called That Jesus Podcast. Okay, yeah. So how long have you been podcasting now, total? Oh, man, I probably started my first one maybe a year and a half ago, something like oh, okay. that. okay, yeah. yeah. So it's not been a real long Yeah. Bit. So what, um, well, I guess what, what led you to, what interested you about apologetics and then what led you to switch to the other part the new podcast yeah so i mean i've always had an interest in evangelism and so when i Mm. started that podcast i thought hey it would be cool to to have non-believers on and use it sort of as an excuse to talk to them about jesus yeah and and i found that was it was actually pretty effective in being able to have meaningful conversations with non-believers um but it, it wasn't very effective in changing their minds oh yeah um and I've I've always sort of had an, an an interest in apologetics, so that just gave me more of an excuse to study into it. Yeah. But, you know, a, a little while back, I, I realized, you know, this isn't my primary interest. I I would say I'm more interested in missions, in theology, in in seeing the church uh, realize her full potential, and and so that's sort of what my new podcast is is focused mm. on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You've had I. I'm trying to think how many I've listened to. I know I listened to the first episode of of that Jesus podcast, but um, mm-hmm. lately I I haven't been listening to many podcasts. Period. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
but you've had quite the guests on there. You had well, the first one was Rick Rhodes, I think, and then um, mm-hmm. I've seen Finney Curavilla. Uh, yeah, you've had Justin Brierly on. That was the other podcast, though, wasn't that it? That was the other one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely worth checking out for for listeners who want to who enjoy podcasts, have a lot of time on the road, or or if your work is feasible to listen some good conversations. How was that? Um, how was the conversation with Finney? Oh, I really enjoyed it. That that was an interview I've been trying to to land for probably yeah, actually over a year. I know you trying about to get that. him on. Yeah, and he promised promised me a podcast about a year and a half ago. And it just didn't happen until about a month or two ago. But I'm I'm friends with uh, Matthew Milioni, who also works closely with Finney up in in Boston with the church there. Uh, so okay. he helped me uh, yeah. get get Finney on. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. And yeah, speaking of Matthew Mil- Milioni, is that how you say his name? Yeah, Milioni. Yeah. Um, you've had him on as well, and you've also kind of started the four you you and three other guys have kind of started a live stream every now and then. Is that something you're planning to do regularly or? Yeah. So this isn't really public yet, but we're actually going to turn that into an extension of the meme page. Have you been checking out uh, dank kingdom Christian memes, any on Facebook? Um, I don't think I have. I've maybe seen some memes here and there from there, but okay. So there's a meme page we started, oh man, four or five months ago, okay. and it's gotten a lot of interaction on, on Facebook. And so we're actually, all of us sort of met a lot A lot of how we got to know each other was through that page. And okay. so we're going to actually start live streaming those discussions on that meme page, maybe discussing like the best recent meme that was created. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah. And we'll also probably turn it into its own podcast and, and YouTube yeah. show as well. Oh, that sounds good. It's mm-hmm. yeah. I uh, I didn't listen to all of them. You've done two live streams now. Is that correct? Two Something. or three. Two or yeah. Yeah. I think I hopped in for a few minutes of of two of them at least. Yeah, good stuff. Um, you so so with podcasting, uh, going back to the first podcast, how did like were were unbelievers hesitant or were they eager to come on and talk on a podcast talk publicly if did they know you were going to kind of challenge them or were they or did you present it as them challenging you in your face um yeah i mean the the ones that i asked for the most part would would say yes now most of the the people i asked were fairly uh eager to talk about spirituality and and religion you know so Mm. sort of the well, I shouldn't call them militant atheists, but the very engaged <laughs> atheist types are always willing to to talk to a Christian and, and debate yeah. them. So yeah. I would actually set it up as as a debate. I would say, you know, would you like to come on and, and have a courteous courteous oh, yeah. dialogue and debate yeah. on this topic? Um, so yeah, it, it was good. I mean, we were, we'd never really had a problem lining up guests for that. Yeah. What did you know? Did you talk together ahead of time what you would talk about, or? Or did you steer the conversation pretty directly? Or what did you do with questions that you weren't ready for? Yeah, so usually we'd agree on a topic beforehand. So we we would do it on like the historicity of the resurrection, Hmm. for example. Hmm. And then I would go and really try to study up on that. Um, And I would say 
the debates that I did, the, the primary interlocutor that I had was my friend Jordan, and I got to know him. He's an atheist pretty well through through that podcast. Oh, okay. And j- just to be straight up, he's a better debater than me, yeah. and he is uh, he's better at researching topics and studying them I, than I am. I had a, a hard time with that. So he probably kind of spanked me in most of those debates. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the new guy, especially the new host on on that show, is is really really good at, yeah. at debate and at apologetics. Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy debating too. I would rather debate theology at this point than mm-hmm. apologetics, just mm-hmm. because it's more my field of interest. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's admirable. I mean, I I am not that versed in apologetics at all, so I I wouldn't really know what to say although i do we we do work with people who ask apologetic type questions but i i think it's actually kind of admirable to i mean in a way if if the goal is to spank the other person with your faith or with your answers then then it could almost create a combative combative feel to Christianity mm-hmm. and to just have a, a public conversation about questions and, and be spanked by them or whatever <laughs> like that. Not only is that stretching for you, I'm sure, but it, it could also for people listening, um, provide, uh, generate questions and, and provide curiosity, spark yeah. curiosity. For, um, yeah, that's good. You also do some work in India, is that correct? Yeah, so that started um, about, let me see, I'm getting really old. Eight years ago, I I first got interested in foreign missions. So I actually grew up in Kenya. My dad was a a church planter there. Um, But I was never really interested in in missions. And it's interesting that you mentioned going to Igo with some of my older siblings because I remember specifically having a conversation with my sister Ruth and she was really into missions and was telling me, you know, how important it is. And I was like, yeah, I think that's a calling for some people, but I'm going to go be like a, a Christian musician or something. Oh, okay. um, so I, I was not into it in, during my teen years. But when I was around 18, I I read a right when I got back from Bible school, I read a book by David Platt called Radical. Mm. I'm sure you probably heard of it. Yeah. Um, and that book really opened my eyes. And and it was really, really crazy because up to that point, I'd always thought that the idea of people who had never heard even the name Jesus before was always was something that existed only, you know, back like in the time of David Livingstone, William Carey, all of those guys. I assumed that by now the gospel would reach the whole world, even though mm-hmm. I grew up on the mission field, because, you know, Kenya is nominally like 80% Christian, mm-hmm. similar to America. So we were mostly just doing discipleship there. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I, I read that book, I, I discovered that, you know, millions of people are, are dying without even hearing the name Jesus, without hearing anything about the gospel. And also he talks about poverty statistics, you know, that over 20,000 children will die every day from, you know, starvation, preventable diseases. Mm-hmm. And that really blew my mind and really grabbed me. And so I, I just started, you know, researching unreached people groups on the Internet, came across a website called The Joshua Project, was mm-hmm. going over 
all the largest unreached people groups in the world. And I was reading over the profile of one people group called the Yadav people group. Hmm. And uh, there's just one sentence that said, most Yadavs will die without ever hearing the name Jesus once. And that, that sentence just grabbed me. And, and I felt like, you know, God was really pulling me in the direction of this people group. And so I, I just kept doing more research over the next couple months and, and felt like God was really speaking and saying, hey, look, this is what you need to give your life to is, is reaching this group. Mm-hmm. Um, so since then, uh, I've been to India mostly for, you know, two, three, four-month trips uh, pretty much every year. Uh, there was a, a point when I thought I would move there permanently and uh, you know, we may still do that if God leads, uh, but right now we're we're mostly working with an indigenous pastor over there who who's trying to train okay. uh, young guys from the villages to take the gospel to unreached villages. So we're trying to be sort of that go-between between America and India and, and, and yeah. taking the funds there. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's awesome. What part of India is it? Uh, so the Yadavs mostly live in Bihar and Uttar Pradesh, which is north central India. Okay, that's where the largest concentration is. Uh, but they're yeah. they're really all over India as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Teresa, my wife, spent a year, I guess about a year, in Hyderabad with mm-hmm. Sam Sam and Becca Gunty. I don't know if you're familiar with. Yeah, the, I know the who they are. I've never yeah. never met them. But. Yeah, yeah, that's. That's great. They um, you you guys, you and your family just got back from there, didn't you? Yeah, we got back in February. We were there okay. for a little over a month. Yeah, and do you go every year? That yeah, that we've been going pretty much every year. Not quite every year. We miss a few here and there in the last five yeah. six years. Um, but yeah, that's that's sort of the plan. Um, we're we're trying to figure out, you know, what's the most effective way if if we should move there or if it's good to. Just mm-hmm. go over there in the winter to sort of see what the work is, how the work is going, and, and bring reports back yeah. to America if, if people want to yeah. get involved as well. Is it, um, maybe you mentioned this, uh, but I forget, um, is the the local pastor that you're working with, is there a connection between him and your church or some churches back here, or are you kind of that connection developing? No, I, let me see, how did that happen? So there was a a video about the Yadav people group that I watched. Um, and he was in that video and there's another guy from Belgium who also helped make that video. And so when I, when I was trying to go to India, I think the second time I was just emailing basically everyone I could find who was working with the Yadav people group. And all, all the emails went to this Belgian guy. <laughs> he's, he's really the, the primary guy raising awareness for, for this people group, I would say. Okay. And and he had worked very closely with this Indian uh, believer who who we're working with now. So he introduced me to the Indian believer when I was over there on a, a YWAM, basically the outreach face of my of my YWAM DTS. Oh, okay. So you went through YWAM. Yeah, that would have been the second time I went to India. I did a discipleship training school with YWAM, okay. uh, which is three months of training, then two yeah. months of outreach. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good deal. So what um, what was it like? You guys just had a baby not that long ago. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Your, yep. Is it? Zion Safiri. Zion Safiri. Mm-hmm. It, how, old, how old is a baby? 
he is eight months eight months okay what was it like yeah. traveling with him it wasn't that bad really i mean he he slept most of the way at least on the the flights there yeah uh we were we were pretty concerned you know because babies if the, if they get sick with you know something in, in a foreign country like that it could be more dangerous um so we took a lot of precautions you know mm-hmm. um trying not to well, basically, the sort of precautions we're all taking now yeah. to try to not get coronavirus. It's yeah. kind of funny. We were doing that over there, then we came over here and keep on doing it. Now we know? keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's crazy how this has just totally changed our world, the coronavirus. And um, you've had, you've you've posted some things on there, and then I've I have some other friends who keep us updated as well about how things are going in India. Um, what's it been like for them? We, we get to, you know, if we get ordered to stay at home, we get to stay at home and still live. In fact, Mm -hmm. our government is dishing out money for us, but, um, at least, uh, the Gunties we were messaging with, my wife was messaging with Becca a little bit. And it sounds like they're actually physically beating people if they go out in the streets and so forth. Yeah, it's it's really bad right now. Basically, the the Prime Minister Modi, who is you know, ca- has caused a lot of problems in in India for Christians in in the last you know, ever since he was elected, he he declared a lockdown basically without warning, mm-hmm. and um, it, it's terrible. I mean, there's a lot of migrant workers who work in the cities but are from the villages, and because all public transportation was shut down like immediately, they a lot of them were trying to walk to their villages. So you'd see these pictures of these caravans of migrants walking. Um, wow. And, you know, a lot of Indians live hand to mouth. So mm-hmm. they 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 have like a two-hour uh, window of time, at least in Bihar, where they can go out and buy food. And But if otherwise, if they leave the house without like a, a permit of some sort, they can they get beat up by police. Um, and a lot of these workers, you know, they like I said, they live hand to mouth, so they basically buy food with with money they make you know that day or the day before and so people are are gonna go hungry like Mm -hmm. it's and and the government did promise to provide relief in in the form of of funds or food i'm not sure which but you know last i heard from pastor arvin that the pastor we're working with they haven't given anything so uh, i i just sent some money over and he has like a six-day pass with his car as an ngo to to drive um, so he he took the money to one of his his believers who owns a, a store, a food store, and yeah. they were able to distribute food to quite a few families. And so and, and I've had quite a few other people offering to to donate as well. So now mm. that I, I asked him for pictures and, and, you know, all the information, careful records of, of what all he, he did with the money we sent. And um so I have something to provide other people who want to donate, but we're going to hopefully send another chunk of money there soon to, to just get food to these families. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I know the, the Gunties, one of the things they do is take food out to villages, drivings and so forth. And they were trying to get um, permission from the local police to be able to do it. I haven't heard if, yeah. if they have or not, but um, it's definitely, Definitely just a crazy world event that I've de- we've definitely not, not seen anything like it in our lifetime. And yeah. It's just. 
Yeah. What I um mean, I, obviously we have go ahead. No, go for it. Oh, I was just saying, obviously we have tons of cases here right now and, and people are dying, but whatever we face here economically and, and even medically, the developing world is gonna get hit so much worse. So yeah. I think that's that's an opportunity for us to really pray and, and just try to find ways to help them right yeah, now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's something I've been thinking a lot about. Um there's so my wife and I spent three years in Thailand. And Thailand's not I don't know if it's considered a developing country or not. It's it's definitely poorer than the villages are poorer than small towns in America, but but neither is it quite the same as China or um, even like Japan or Korea. Mm -hmm. But uh, what was I going to say? Um, oh, just living there, spending the three years there, you get a firsthand experience of the the importance or the challenge, I guess importance to be careful in how we, we as Westerners, as Americans interact with, with, um, countries like that in terms of our, our money and our wealth. And it's, there's been a lot of damage that is done through missions when we just give, give, um, just dish out cash, dish out yeah. money. And yet then in times like this, it's like, that almost seems like the most I mean, here we are freaking out <laughs> my wife and I personally, you know, we live in California. It feel we're, we feel like we're poor people here because we can barely make ends meet in expensive California. But the reality mm -hmm. is we're still living way better than, than them. And, and how can we be a part of helping that side of the world? And, mm -hmm. What is, do you have any thoughts on that? Like the relationship between Western or just wealthier Christians in general with those in need and how, how do you step in and help in a time of crisis without also, obviously I think, I think immediate crisis demands immediate action of some kind. Yeah. I, I mean, that's not something I'm really that qualified to speak to. But I would say, like you just said, there's a difference between relief work and, you know, just ongoing handouts. So yeah. obviously, if people are hungry and starving, they need a handout. I mean, yeah. they need that relief. And it's sort of the same idea when there's a hurricane or something, you know, you go to those places and you provide immediate relief. Um, whereas if you're trying to work with a country that is doesn't have necessarily any disasters like this, but just has ongoing poverty, then... You know, you might want to implement some you know, savings groups or other long-term mm. solutions in that mm. case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely something to to be a part of. It's, I think it's easy. Um, something my wife and I have been talking about is just the tendency. You know, we we're here in California and I, there in Virginia as well. Um, we're ordered to stay at home, shelter at home. So church is canceled. We're not interacting with people and already here two, what, two and a half weeks it's been, two weeks, I guess. And it can be so easy to get just focused on our little home and our little world. And 
it's really a time like it's it's such a weird dynamic because the best way to help people is to stay at home and yet we're in a crisis and so you you want to stay at least mentally and somehow engaged outside of yourself too and uh mm-hmm. and we we as a church in our local part of the world to like this is a worldwide event and to be helping out any way that we can at the very least through prayer mm-hmm. I mean, the very most through prayer but um yeah. yeah crazy times yep we uh so one of the things we 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 were both on the third way podcast with christopher and reagan schrock mm-hmm. also he's he does the uh podcast with anabaptist perspectives i think he's got another one too about books but i forget the books we read the books we read yeah he um, does that with jaron miller yeah okay yeah yeah we we uh on the third way podcast we talk a lot about politics and how that relates to how christians should or should not interact with with government politics things like using violence and force and and basically trying to present a third way than what we've typically seen which is just the the uh conservative fundamental kind of um republican christianity pro-war or opposed um the opposite would be the um just kind of progressive uh how would you describe i'm trying to think about that how would you describe the opposite of of the republican what what's the The democrats the democrats (laughs) Republican, Democrats, and we're the third way. There you uh, go. <laughs> anyways, we talk a lot, like, well, we talk a lot on that podcast, and then after we shut off the mics, we keep talking. <laughs> um, one time, we, we just kind of got, some of us, I forget if we were all there or not, but we just kind of kept talking about our backgrounds and and, and just our own journey in faith and and church tradition and so forth we're all all four of us um me and you christopher my brother christopher and reagan are from conservative anabaptist background whether it's mennonite or beachy amish or uh a different i think it's just those two i guess for us four specifically but um Mm -hmm. and uh you know it's it's not I don't think it's uncommon for anybody to wrestle with their faith as they grow up, as they become adults and as it becomes their own. But it, it does seem like the era we live in right now, people really, I don't know, people really wrestle with it or maybe we're just more free to go explore other options too. And so it's a little more visible. Um, and you, you kind of talked about your journey a little bit and just getting into I think if I remember correctly, you, the thing that attracted you first was the charismatic movement. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's something that is, it seems to be kind of common in, from conservative Anabaptist circles um, that we are drawn to more charismatic movements as opposed to mm-hmm. some, well, I've, 
in some ways, more recently, I've seen some people going to um, more liturgical, kind of orthodox type traditions of of the Christian faith. Well, I'm just curious, would you mind sharing just some about your own journey as you came from Beachy Amish background, is that correct? Yeah. And yeah, like what what got stirring within you? What um what led you to the charismatic movement? Yeah. You probably have some beachy listeners, right? <laughs> probably. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what all specifically is is my <laughs> listening audience. I know on the blog it's it's probably maybe uh I see it's it's so funny when I take surveys or something like how because I'll give beachy as an option and then Mennonite as an option and then other as an option. And if I don't word it quite correctly, they use the other option and mm. type in something that I would have considered to fall in one of the other categories. And so <laughs> I can't get like a real clean specific, but definitely 80 to 85% of my audience is conservative Anabaptist familiar yeah. with speech Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, there's some obviously really good things about the BG Amish Church. Um, I grew up in in Faith Mission Fellowship, so they have Faith Mission Home there, which is the home for mentally handicapped children. So they're doing some really good work there. I think it's really cool what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, in my teen years, I I guess I started questioning what I consider to be extra biblical standards. So we were a, a pretty pretty conservative on on the beachy scale because you know beaches are are diverse also. Um, probably the one that that bothered me the most is we were not allowed to, or it was a, there's a church standard against listening to any kind of music that had instrumentation with it. So we had to listen to only a cappella music, and we couldn't mm. play instruments. And so I was always really into music. We had a Mm-hmm. A five guy singing group that went on tour. I, I really enjoyed that sort of thing, and I really wanted to to listen to music with instruments and to also you know try to learn an instrument. And so, biblically, I, I couldn't really see any evidence for that that standard. I couldn't see even any principle behind that application. To me, it, it sort of seemed like you know God created this this beautiful world for his image bearers to enjoy. And part of that is, you know, artistic expression. Mm. And here the church is limiting uh, part of that for Mm. for Christians and saying this part of God's good world is out of bounds. Um, So that that bothered me. And, and, you know, just other, other standards that I really could not see any biblical basis for. Another thing that bothered me and and still bothers me today is sort of the idea that other Christians are, you know, there's there's all these code words that we would use like nominal or mainstream or where we would kind of maybe they're Christians. They might be Christians, but, you know, they've got some serious problems. And I, I actually agree. Evangelical Christianity in America does have serious problems, but that always bothered me, even when I was quite young. I wanted to be accepting of Christians who who did things differently. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess when I married my wife, Brenna, she's not from Mennonite background. 
and I, I knew that it wouldn't really work for her to join the Beachy Church. Um, at mm. the time, she was part of the church that we're part of now, um, which is used to be Brethren. It's it's just non-denominational now. has okay. has a lot of um, a lot of them would not like to call themselves Mennonite, but it's it's very similar to to Mennonites in a lot of ways. Um, and and so when when we got married, that just seemed like a, a good place for us to sort of meet in the middle. Yeah. Um, now you asked about my attraction to charismatic Christianity. That basically started with there was the uh, House of Prayer in Charlottesville that was sort of affiliated with uh, the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. Okay. And and so you know the whole twenty four hour prayer and worship thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I got to know the the director of that pretty well. And really enjoyed, you know, attending their their prayer meetings every week, even when I was still in the Beachy Church. Mm-hmm. But also at the same time, I noticed that the Mennonites that I knew who were really passionate for God, passionate for missions, that sort of thing, all had a charismatic bent as well, mm-hmm. in that they were more open to the gifts of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. They were more charismatic in their worship and their prayer and, and just how they expressed that. So that that drew me to it as well. And I would say the the third thing would have been just reading the scriptures and and seeing that there's an awful lot in the scriptures about miraculous healings, um, you know, casting out demons, tongues, prophecy, and just saying, you know, if we're if we're trying to be consistent here, why is this not something that we're seeing in our churches Hmm. so that kind of pulled me in in the direction of of the charismatic church and i I started you know going to a lot of their conferences that sort of thing um Mm -hmm. and and you know in in the past couple years i I haven't been as involved in those circles i I think i've gotten a little bit tired of some of the shallow theology there Hmm. um Mm -hmm. Sorry if there's any charismatics listening. <laughs> I'm offending everyone right now. <laughs> Not gonna win um, with anybody. <laughs> um, and and there's definitely some excess there too in in, in certain ways. And so I haven't been yeah. as involved with that as, as anymore. But I, I still think there's a lot of value in, in those circles and, and things that they can teach the rest of us for sure. Yeah, yeah. What um, you know, so. Maybe I'll just ask uh, the one about charismatics first, and then go back to the you growing up. But um, what would you what when you talk about shallow theology, like what what do you mean by that? Um, it, it's interesting. So there's the right brain people and the left brain people. I always get mixed up which is which. But uh, <laughs> one of them, the the side that tends toward emotion and and feeling. I would say a lot of times maybe the split within Christianity is simply based on that. You know, so a lot of people mm. who are attracted to charismatic Christianity are are the type of people who are emotional mm-hmm. and the the reform types or, or other forms of Christianity are more intellectual. They're just mm-hmm. it's just how God made them, you know, they're they're drawn to to expressing their faith in different ways. So naturally those sorts of the emotional sorts of people aren't gonna be the ones who are producing the best and, and brightest of biblical scholarship. Yeah. Um, there, there's a lot of, you know, just sort of cliches, little, a lot of the, when, when you're talking about God or, or the kingdom, it seems like you're, 
it seems like w when I'm having conversations with a lot of them, <laughs> man, I, I'm really bashing people. I, I love my charismatic <laughs> brothers and sisters, but you asked the question, so I'll blame yeah, you. I framed it seems you, like sorry. a lot of the conversations <laughs> seems like a lot of the conversations are just sort of repeating spiritual sounding cliches that really don't um affect me a lot i yeah. guess would be the best way of putting it yeah yeah well that's i mean i i definitely identify and i like for me personally um i would tend to be more drawn probably towards reform because i am a little bit more of a like if if something seems off or doesn't make sense to me intellectually i i do not think of myself as an intellectual guy though because i we we're just talking about this as a family recently with some of my siblings, but um, all my siblings are way smarter than me. And so I feel like I'm dumb. That's putting it harshly. But um, <laughs> but that's definitely what the, the style of church tradition that I would probably be drawn towards. Um, my burden for Anabaptists is to have, because I, I kind of feel a similar tendency among uh, Anabaptist in some ways is it doesn't feel like it's always that uh, robust theologically um, probably for different reasons not not for um, playing more out of the emotional side of their brain as much as anything else but um, yeah and and with that I mean I, I have now that I'm, I'm thinking of it I have at least one very charismatic friend who is very thoughtful and mm -hmm. very informed theologically. So I think a lot of the younger ones are um, trying to pursue, you know, deeper thinking more. So I, I don't want to put them all in, in one category, just like, you know, not all Anabaptists are yeah easily put in a box. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I would, I mean, just to say, <laughs> we're kind of bashing everybody here <laughs> today but, reform people now <laughs> yeah um crazy calvinist so, um <laughs> the uh i think i i just want to make it clear i mean the 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 title of the podcast is unfeigned christianity and the opposite of feign meaning there's no pretense no no uh show but sincere and genuine um and the, the reality is whether we come from Pentecostal background, whether we come from Baptist background, whether we come from Anabaptist background, what uh, Orthodox background, uh, a large majority of people do at some point wrestle with their faith, and and so the the um, acknowledging those wrestlings, those questions, and even some of the observations that maybe I mean maybe there's charismatic churches out there that you and I would walk into and seem really deep and meaningful. We just haven't found them yet. Um, and, and there's, mm -hmm. there's definitely flaws within our own churches currently as well. Like we haven't found heaven yet. And so the, the point is not to, to lift us up as like the ideal Christian, but rather to, to process and kind of walk through the journey of like the, the things we were searching for and and trying to find and and I, so kind of going back to your upbringing what um 
you, you mentioned how it seemed like the the passionate Christians were, and this is gonna sound like we're bashing Beachy Amish again, but the passionate Christians leaned more charismatic, and so what? Why was that, or what? Like, is there is there not much space for? Were the gifts taught in your church? Is there um, is there are people not passionate, or what? Can can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, I would say my first experiences um, with passionate Christians, well, probably not my first experiences with them, but the ones where I started actually paying attention was actually at Calvary Bible School, the the Beach Yamish Mennonite Bible School in Arkansas. Oh, okay. I had a a term there of six weeks that completely changed my life. Um, it, It sort of came out of a class taught by Ernest Evey called Doctrine of the Church. Hmm. And, I mean, this is such a cliche word, especially within charismatic churches, but I believe God did bring revival Hmm. there during that term. And so one of my mentors there, uh, Brent Stalsfus from, from, he's actually, I think he's still in New York. He's been working there. Um, He would just get these prayer meetings together with, you know, uh, some of us guys and, Mm It, there was just a real emphasis on prayer and not just the kind of prayer where you're in, in a circle with a list of prayer requests and you just kind of go down through the prayer requests. Although, I mean, I don't have anything against that kind of prayer or against, you know, more liturgical prayer. But yeah. this was a sort of prayer that I hadn't experienced before where everyone was spontaneously pouring out their hearts to God. Wow. And... um and that's something that that charismatics are very strong in is is that is mm-hmm. that prayer they emphasize that a lot mm-hmm. and and so within that you know there was uh, when when I would talk to a lot of the the guys who I would really look up to the the people who were seemed passionate were interested in reaching the lost and I, I would bring up the gifts of the spirit almost without fail they were not simply um, continuous in their theology but they they emphasize that this is something that we need to in a sense pursue you know Mm -hmm. um so yeah that that maybe was just with the 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 guys who were influential in my life maybe maybe it's just anecdotal but it it seemed like i saw that pattern and that initially made an impression on me yeah um because you know that that's you you only know the people who you come in contact with that's just your experience and it it plays into your your story yeah so yeah there's there's definitely and this is something that in my interaction with with charismatic i've got several different friends who are fairly charismatic um either in just maybe they're still in, in, in a conservative anabaptist church and they just have a more charismatic personality and even theologically leaning um or they've they are a part of charismatic churches today um and one of the things that i really appreciate about them is their belief in god's ability to work today and to speak today and and to guide us and that we can walk Mm -hmm. with him walk in that relationship with him um, today. 
what is I also know some people who have I think you mentioned it a little bit earlier you know an emphasis in charismatic movements is speaking in tongues or or seeing and experiencing healing and mm -hmm. I know a fair amount of people who uh tried and tried and prayed and asked God for both, whether it was tongues or healing. And they've mm -hmm. not experienced that. Um, and that's causing some disillusionment. I know a couple people where that's causing them to lose their faith. And hmm. what, like, I know um, you, you mentioned kind of getting a little tired. Well, that's where you talk about being tired of the shallow th theology but even I remember when we talked last summer, kind of, you know, in a way, returning back to some of the Anabaptist roots and so forth. Um, was that a part of part of the journey? Like just not always seeing it come to fruition or something? Or, or how do you how would you process um, that part of? Yeah, perhaps so. When I left the Beachy Church, there was a couple Anabaptist distinctives that I held on to, like, you know, non-resistance, the head covering, some of the things that I, I still saw in Scripture. But mm -hmm. I, I wasn't very grounded in, you know, historic Anabaptism or, you know, some of the foundational Anabaptist theology. It wasn't very interesting to me. And that's kind of where I was at when I was you know, kind of moving more in, in charismatic circles. And then in, it's just been in the last, I would say, maybe two or three years that I've been rediscovering historic Anabaptism and really uh, finding a lot of value there. Just studying, you know, the, the Anabaptist reformers and, um, you know, Christocentric hermeneutic nonviolence mm -hmm. and, and finding mm -hmm. that there's really something powerful about those foundational Anabaptist values and sort of trying to build my my worldview from there on up and I, and that was probably had to do with yeah some some disappointment within the charismatic movement um but also you know i i think that our family of origin just ha has a big effect on us even mm -hmm. if we're mm -hmm. trying to <laughs> trying to rebel or do our own thing you know it it really makes an impact on us so maybe yeah. it's just something residual in me that was like, hey, you should really look look into this heritage because it is a really amazing heritage. I mean, Anabaptists were sort of pioneered religious liberty in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, they were, you know, they were stood against slavery, a lot of them. Mm. I mean, it's just a really rich heritage, especially in the 21st century when... Um, you know, evangelical Christianity in in the West has become sort of a stench to people in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. I feel like Anabaptism doesn't have a lot of that baggage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it seems almost ironic in some ways that, like, I, I have a lot of Protestant friends who are actually beginning to sound almost Anabaptist theologically. Like, there's some mm -hmm. there's some lifestyle things that are still very not conservative Anabaptists, but as far as the way they view, yeah, a Christocentric hermeneutic Jesus being the focus and point of scripture, which I don't, sometimes I'm not sure what to do with that because I've never met a Christian who said Jesus is not the point. <laughs> yeah. But 
Yeah, that emphasis and even just that Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is specifically for us, the church today, and not some future event. Um, there, it seems like there's a shift in Christianity in general, kind of an openness to, to Anabaptism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there definitely is. And I remember when we talked to Bruxy Cavey, he was paralleling yeah. it with the Young, Restless, and Reform movement. Um, where there was sort of a, a resurgence in neo-Calvinism, and now there seems to be sort of a, a resurgence of neo-Anabaptism, mm. which is really exciting to see. And I, I hope that's not the only reason why I'm <laughs> getting back into Anabaptism, because it's trendy. But I, I really yeah. do think that Anabaptism has something to offer the 21st century in, in the West, especially in the Trump era, where... This is a, a heritage of, of Christians who were never tied to the state in unhealthy ways and, and really have mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. to offer our generation, where our generation is, is fed up with a lot of conventional Christianity and they're looking for something mm-hmm. more authentic, where there's you know close mm-hmm. community. That, that's been a value of, of Anabaptism, um, community, discipleship. I think those are values that a lot of young people are actually looking for right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. The last couple of years I've been in Bible college and going through a, a church history class. And the, when we got to the Anabaptists, we had a decent amount of time, not a ton, but more than I was expecting from a primarily Protestant school on the the Anabaptist origin and kind of what led out of the Reformation and what the Anabaptists were pursuing. From the Reformation, they kind of forgot about the Anabaptists and we're still tracing most of the Protestant church. But what's interesting is it struck me as I was reading, even like um, I was reading in Church History in Plain Language from Bruce Shelley, who's very Protestant. Even he. Like what he described the Anabaptists to be after and what their goal was, was what I hear a lot of people desiring today. And Mm -hmm. whether it's from conservative Anabaptist churches or even from other um, Protestant or other church traditions. And that was kind of eye opening for me to see how, you know, a lot of this, the non-political Christianity, like a faith that speaks into society that is not tied up in politics and in money and power, as well as as a Holy Spirit empowered body, like the church being a body of people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Like those were Anabaptist emphasis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the Anabaptists were also an extension of a rival church all throughout church history, you know, the the Donatists and the Waldensians and the Lollards. And mm. um, I, I think that there's always been a, a countercultural group of, of Christians, a thread that goes throughout church history um, that mm. that sure seems to me like, like the path of Jesus. You know, my wife and I were just reading um, this morning the, the ending of the book of Luke where, where Jesus, you know, goes to the cross and it just struck me how the the Jewish religious leaders handed Jesus over to Pilate, to the political authorities to be executed. 
And that's that's been the pattern of faithful Christians throughout history is that when they fall out of step with the 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 current oppressive religious system, often that religious system would execute them by means of the state. And it's just yeah. perfectly following in the footsteps of Jesus. There's always been those groups yeah. throughout church history and that's what a lot of the our Anabaptist forefathers experienced as well. Yeah. Yeah. So where where you've kind of touched on it already. Where where are you now or what is what is your vision for for yourself, your family, for your generations? Really? Yeah. Um so I'm I'm comfortable identifying as an Anabaptist theologically. There's six values that I've I've really tried to pursue, and I, I really want to see the church pursue. Um, it's kind of my home base. So yeah. the the first two are are pretty similar prayer prayer in the scripture, and all these values are super foundational. I mean, I'm not gonna nothing is gonna be surprising or outlandish, but. Yeah. You know, the, I think the most important things are just the simple things, you know, that yeah. if we did more of those things and actually practice these values rather than just talking about them, yeah. I think we would see we would see revival. And like I said, the first is, is prayer and, and scripture. So especially when God first began moving in my life, like the the primary thing that I felt impressed to do was just get alone with the word of God and prayer. And just no matter how difficult it is, I remember waking up super early one morning and like forcing myself to read the book of Jeremiah. And it was the most dry, lifeless experience I ever had. And I just went to bed feeling completely defeated. But I was determined to find God. And like I just kept doing it over and over. Like I'm going to force myself. It it sounds bad, but force myself to pray. Right. Because I was desperate to find God. And eventually I started enjoying that. And I started... Wow. experiencing like this connection with God. Yeah. Um and and I, I think that's the something that's united, you know, missionaries, revivalists, yeah. men and women of God throughout history even if they had other differences is that they would always get alone with God. Yeah. Um and then thirdly I would say holiness, so so pursuing personal holiness, um victory over besetting sins like making mm. that your like tenacious um fight to pursue holiness and and mm. that victory obviously through through the power of God's spirit and not allowing sins like you know pornography to to run rampant in the church and and I know you you've done a lot of work in that area which which is great mm. um and then community you know like I said mm. our generation is looking for close-knit community and, and discipleship where we have those close relationships and I personally think that works best in, in house churches or small groups like that and and I think that the church should be a of the the closest family unit um, that, that you can experience anywhere that that should be what attracts people to us mm. and then the last mm. two values are also, sort of related to each other, it would be caring for the poor, caring for the physical needs of, of people, and then the Great Commission, so going and, and making disciples of, of especially unreached parts of the world, parts of the world that have never heard the gospel. So those are all super simple things. Um, it's not like sitting around arguing sovereignty of God or something, which I enjoy doing yeah. as well, but I think these are simple values that, like I said, if the church, if we Christians 
put our energy, our free time into practicing these things, yeah. um, we would see the church come to a much healthier place and, and a lot of vitality. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember the thing when you first talked about, told some of us about these six commitments or foundational values, whatever, you, however you call them. Um, the thing that stood out to me was how, yeah, they're simple, they're basic, but our generation doesn't talk about them. Have you thought about that? Like we don't, to hear, yeah, I I've, mean, <laughs> I've heard you talk about fasting and praying in a way that has challenged me. Like I, I don't, fasting and praying is a drudgery to me. And I, I mean, it's not, it's not sexy. I mean, no, it, it's, <laughs> It's not it's not like something that we can sit around and and talk about and sound super smart and yeah um yeah you know but but it it's it's hard work it's discipleship it's mm. gritty um and it takes self control and discipline but when I live that way when I deny myself and like pursue those things in sort of an, an ascetic way even mm-hmm. um I find that when I, I find the most pleasure and joy when I do that, when yeah. I deny myself and pursue these things. Yeah. Yeah. And I can definitely identify with that as well. There's not just, just being said that what matters is the heart and Jesus loves you. Like those don't give you, it doesn't give you anything to pursue and it doesn't give you an answer for, like when you see in your personal life something contrary to scripture and mm-hmm. and so i'm challenged by your commitment and challenge to the rest of us to to actually pursue those things like don't holiness and walking with god is not just something we let happen to us but something we go out and pursue as well yeah and it's something I mean, just because I, I've made these foundational values doesn't mean I, I do them very well. Yeah. I've been struggling a lot recently with with self-control in, in a couple of areas, especially in regard to media. So mm. Mm. I'm addicted to social media. I'm addicted to YouTube. Like, it pulls me in, and I think it's designed to do that. Mm. And so I've been talking to my wife and saying, what are some ways that we can... We can live free from this stuff, even if it might not be a sin. It it takes up all your time, so you can't even pursue those yeah. these other things. Yeah. Um, and so, like, we're coming up with ideas of maybe just, you know, 15, 10, 15 minutes of social media every day in one sitting. So mm-hmm. you're not, like, looking at your phone every time you have a bored moment throughout the day. Yeah. Um, so these are things, like, I, I'm fighting tooth and nail to to overcome the distractions mm. and to like implement these things in my life. And often I feel like, man, I'm just constantly failing, but like, I never want to get to the point where I settle, you know, yeah. there's yeah. sort of this, there's sort of this ideal disciple of Jesus that I envision for myself that I want. And I know guys who are living that way. Like I have role models and mentors that I know in real life. And a lot of them I'm, I'm trying to interview on my podcast and have been who I, I know are living this way. And so mm. I know it's attainable with the power of God's spirit. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that if young people really had something to pursue like this, like something yeah. to give our lives to, like it would make life yeah. exciting and like worth living. Yeah. 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 That's good. That's something 
um, my wife and I have been talking about too. Just the other day, I, I had a kind of a, a quarterly review day of solitude time, and just looking back and feeling like the last year, even, but especially the last few months, I've poured. I've not really poured into relationships, and that that was one of your commitments as well, community. Mm-hmm. And I was asking why, yeah. like why why don't I? And you know, my initial response was just a crazy busy time of life. We've got three kids. I'm in Bible college. We live in California, so got to work my butt off to pay, make ends meet. And but then the reality is, that's not really why. Like when I'm studying in the morning, it's so easy to go every 15 minutes or something like go check email or go check the mm-hmm. facebook like what's what are those people saying in that facebook conversation by now or whatever you know and then mm-hmm. and then they're saying something that gets you riled and you spend the rest of your day thinking about that and just mm-hmm. how like this the media eats up little bits for me it's not it's never like i blow an hour or two on social media but these little mm-hmm. bits here and there and not being able to yeah. focus on what I need to do so that at the end of the day, I don't have to do more homework, but we could have people over or we could, you know. Um, and so I think there's there's those other things that matter, relationships or prayer, scripture, that even the Great Commission, that are getting nudged out because of things mm-hmm. like media that just eat up little parts of our life. And, yeah, and they over it overstimulates you too, you know. Our, I don't think our brains were designed for the amount of stimulus you can get yeah. from social media. Yeah. And so if you're constantly getting a little dopamine hit from clicking on that notification button and seeing who commented on on your yeah. post throughout the day, like that's it it honestly takes joy away from me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think there is a way to use social media responsibly where it can bring life. And like I said, I mean, we met over social media, so yeah. like it can be a powerful way to to build relationships with people and even put content out there. But I think it's something that you have to put some kind of guidelines on. That's yeah. that's a church standard <laughs> that I'd be I'd be all for. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe not a, a church standard, but a personal standard. Yeah. Um and, and I think honestly, like I think in the future, people are going to look back and and realize that that culture was, has been using social media in a very unhealthy way. I, I honestly think uh, that it'll be sort of like smoking, where we we look back and wonder how in the world everyone was smoking back then and didn't know it was destroying their lungs. I think we're going to look back and say, like like if you look at an old movie, everyone's smoking, right? Yeah. And and if maybe back in, like in the future. Um, they're going to look at, at movies of today's time and see everyone on their phones and be like, man, don't you know that creates depression and anxiety and loneliness and yeah. all sorts of mental instability? Like, yeah. don't you know that's causing suicide in, in teenage girls? And yeah. how did you not get some reins on that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, it, it's happened so fast. Like it's, it's, mm-hmm. um, we're not, we're not prepared for this. It, it, it came so fast uh, and we're still figuring it out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's been an hour. Thanks so much for for talking. There's there's a whole lot more we could continue talking, but um, I think we're gonna have to leave it here for now, and then we can have a part two down the road. There you go. It's been a lot of fun. 
Yeah, thanks for coming on.